Open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews. What we're doing is we're continuing from this morning, and we looked at when Jesus Christ ascended, and he sat down at the right hand, this, this introduction that Luke gives us in the book of Acts, it gives us his, just some, a very few pieces of information about Jesus Christ that set the stage for uh, the rest of the book of Acts. And we looked at this passage in Hebrews, and I want to spend a little bit more time in it. I'd mentioned we were going to talk about the resurrection. And look at what the Bible says here about the sacrifice of Christ. So Hebrews chapter 7, and look again at verse 18. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll dive in. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for what Jesus did for us on the cross. Father, thank you that the, that the work was accomplished. In Jesus' name, amen. So the basis of the New Testament church is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that we are, look at, keep your place here in Hebrews, go to First Peter chapter 3. Let's see, maybe it's Second Peter chapter 3. Oh, I was just trying to go off the top of my head. But the Bible says in, in I believe it's First Peter, it might be chapter 2, it says that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. That's who we are. Why is there this false priesthood? Why is there this situation where we have so many different religions, where they have priests, they have religious rites, when the simple fact of the matter is that those religious rites could never save anyone? They couldn't save anyone in the Old Testament. They can't save anyone in the New Testament. Why? Because according to Hebrews chapter 7, let's go back there and look at verse 18. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. You see, that old sacrifice, that Levitical priesthood, it was profitless. It did not, it did not cleanse from sin. It could cover sin and is what was required, but it needed a better sacrifice. So look at the next verse. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did Man, I like that verse. I love that. So what we have is that there is no Levitical priesthood that exists anymore. That was completed. When that veil was written to, that priesthood ended. It is no longer necessary. The Old Testament law in practice was weak and unprofitable because it had to deal with flesh and blood sinners who were spiritually uncircumcised and made in Adam's image. The Bible here says that the law made nothing perfect. In Galatians 3, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ because we realize that we cannot keep the law. And in verse 19 here, the Bible says that it brings in a better hope, a better hope. Now, those priests, look with me in verse 19 again, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did 
by which we draw nigh unto God. The Bible says, draw nigh unto him and he'll draw nigh to you. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, I think it's two and uh, it's Ephesians chapter two, that we are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what makes us near to God. Praise the Lord for that. The sacrifice of the Old Testament could not do that. Verse 20, and inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made a priest. So this Levitical priesthood, we read through that quickly this morning. When it says without an oath, they were made priests, how? Well, they were born into that family. That family made up the priesthood. They didn't have to take an oath. If you were the son of a Levite, you were a priest. That's, that was your job. That's what you were born into. Look at, look at the next verse, verse 21. For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, those other priests, they were installed by heredity as Aaron's sons, but this, the Lord Jesus, the Bible says that he's made a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's six times in the Bible that it says that. How many think maybe that's important then? All right? And so what Melchizedek was, Melchizedek was the king of Salem and a priest. And Jesus is the only one that is prophet, priest, and king. That's who Jesus Christ is. That's the significance of that office. Now, when the Bible, so look at what it says in verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. The New Testament is better than the Old Testament. It's not the same. I'll never forget having a conversation with a pastor, and I was we were talking about dispensationalism, and he said, well, I just always thought that Adam got saved the way I got saved. Abraham got saved the way that I got saved. And so I just said, I was very almost shocked that this preacher would say that. And I said, so what you're saying is the death, burial, and resurrection meant nothing. That the coming of the Holy Spirit meant nothing. That Pentecost meant nothing. We were not saved the way Old Testament salvation is different than New Testament salvation. They didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We do. They had to wait in paradise until Jesus shed his blood. We don't have to do that. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As a matter of fact, we're in him already. We are already seated with him in heavenly places. It's just, it's different, and it's important that we understand those distinctions. And let me show you one of the fun distinctions between the New Testament and the Old Testament. So let's do this. Put your ribbon here in Hebrews and get Malachi, all right? Malachi chapter 4, and get Revelation chapter 22. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6, that last phrase says, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's the end. That's happy, isn't it? Well, the Old Testament ends with a curse. The New Testament's better. Look at Revelation chapter 22. Verse 21, Revelation 22 and verse 21, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. How many of you think that's better than to say, I'm going to come and smite you with a curse? 
The New Testament is better than the Old Testament. It is better than the Old Testament. It's important that we know that. Go back to Hebrews chapter 7. All right, now look at verse 22 again. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. A surety. That's our guarantee. When you put down a down payment, that's surety. When you give earnest money, that's a surety. When you uh, take a loan out and you put your house up as a guarantee, that house is your surety. So if you don't pay that loan, they come and take your house. What's the guarantee of the New Testament? Jesus. Jesus Christ. How many of you think we're safe? Isn't that good? Why? Because he ever lives. He ever lives. As a matter of fact, look at the next verse. And they truly were many priests. This is the the Levites. Because they were not suffered or allowed to continue by reason of death. In other words, their job didn't continue after they died. Jesus Christ's work was finished when he died. And then he rose from the dead. And he ever lives to make intercession. You see, that physical priesthood, that Levitical priesthood is so much less than the spiritual priesthood that we have. Now, here's where this becomes important. Verse 24, But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. He hath an unchangeable priesthood. These priests, verse 23, And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. So what does that mean? They had to be replaced. This priesthood had to be replaced, right? When they died, someone else had to step up and take their office. Now, it's a good thing they had a lot of kids. But that's not the priesthood of Jesus. Jesus Christ's priesthood is an everlasting priesthood. Now, here's an important statement that I want you to get. In the Levitical priesthood, their sons were the priests. Jesus has no successors in his priesthood. Amen? Right? There are no priestly successors to Jesus Christ. And if you find a man who calls himself a priest, he's a liar. Now, please don't walk up to the nearest priest and call him a liar. Okay? He's buying. He's buying what he's been sold. But there are no, there are no longer people offering up sacrifices for someone else. None of those people have a legitimate office. Why? Because Jesus Christ's sacrifice only had to happen one time. So again, look at what it says in verse 24. But this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. And we see a little bit farther down in the the passage, he ever liveth to make intercession for his saints. Praise God for that. Verse uh, 25 Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Now, really important that we see this. So hold your place here. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 8. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 8. Above when he said... Sacrifice and offering, and burnt offerings, and offering for sin, thou wouldest not 
neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, this is the son, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that's Levitical sacrifices, the Old Testament, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Read those next three words out loud. You ready? Once for all. Amen? Once for all. Are are, are you glad that you're saved? forever. That hope, man, the world can be a mess. Your own personal life, you can be going through struggles. But if you're born again, you are you will never be more saved than you are right now. Praise God for that. Man, I love that. Then look at what it says in verse 11. Stat chapter 10 still. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never Take away sins. But this man, after he had offered... What are those next two words? One sacrifice for sins, the next two words, forever. Sat down on the right hand of God. It's enough. What he did is enough. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your good works. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your talent. He doesn't need anything. God does not need you. That's what grace is about. That's what mercy is about. And not only does he save us, then he gives us gifts. He empowers the the talents and abilities that he gave us in our DNA so that we can serve him. And then he tells us that that sacrifice once for all is good forever. You're saved to the uttermost. So you know what that means? You're free to serve him. You are free. To serve him. So how about we stop sinning? Amen? Let's stop putting, bringing things into our lives and behaving in such a way that it hinders our service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for that. Man, I, I, I just love it. So, Let's let's consider it was first Peter two nine, by the way, was the, the high priest passage, first Peter two nine. Um let's see how our, our priest, our high priest, differs from earthly priesthood. All right, number one, let's go back to Hebrews chapter seven and look at verse twenty six. Our priest, verse twenty six. For such an high priest became us. Well, an earthly priest is us. He didn't have to become anything. Amen? But now look at the difference. Again, verse 26, For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Do we? Do you know any men that are that? No. No. Now, this would be an easy place to give a cheap shot against the Catholic Church and the struggles, the, the, the immorality that's taken place in the priesthood. But look, when you think of the, the 700 cases in the Southern Baptist churches right now with, with uh, sexual infidelity, it, it, men are men. Amen? 
Now, when you tell them they can't marry, I think that's causing some trouble, right? Better to marry than to burn. Does the Bible say something like that? Right? But let, let's set that aside. Men are men. Jesus Christ was the God-man. He's the only one who's holy. And I love the way it says it. Holy, what's that next word? Harmless. That's our priest. Now, understand, when Jesus comes back to be king, he's not coming back as a high priest. He's coming back as a conquering king. Uh, I'm thankful that to me, he is harmless. Oh, man. Can we look at the contrast? Go to Revelation chapter 5. Keep your place in Hebrews. Revelation chapter 5. And look at what it says in verse... Let's start reading in verse 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, And the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Isn't it wonderful, all the people that get saved? Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power, be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and forever. Who is this one? Who is this one? This is the Lamb. So these four and twenty elders, they represent the church, and the church worships Jesus Christ as our sacrificed, crucified, and risen lamb, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That's who we worship. But I want you to see something. Look at what it says in verse 5. Chapter 5 and verse 5 of Revelation. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. So what's the difference? From the perspective of the earth, he's going to be the lion. From the perspective of the four and twenty elders, he's the lamb. You can worship him as your sacrifice. Or you can worship him as your conquering king. So let's go back to Hebrews. Very important. You can either you can either have him as your high priest or you can have him as your judge. And let me say, it's better to have him as your high priest. Amen? So again, look at what it says in verse 26. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. So our priest is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Our priest, according to verse 25, he lives forever. 
Our priest makes intercession for us forever. Our high priest offered himself up once and doesn't have to elevate a host. Our high priest keeps his consecration. You know that Jesus can't be defrocked. Right? As your pastor, if I messed up, I can't be your pastor anymore. Jesus Christ will never mess up. He's holy. He's harmless. He is undefiled. He is undefiled. Look at what it says in verse 28. This is an interesting thing. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. What about us? Hold your place here. Go to Romans chapter 8. Look what it says in verse 26. Romans 8 and verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our, what does it say? Infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. So, now, the Bible says that as New Testament believers, that we have a priesthood. We're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That means that I can pray for Gabe. When when I see Gabe Gabe is having trouble, I can go to the Lord for him. I can intercede for him through the high priest, Jesus Christ, right? Here's the problem. What if I'm praying the wrong thing for Gabe? Honestly, I don't really know what Gabe needs. He needs prayer because he married Melody. (laughs) She stuck her tongue. Don't stick your tongue out at the preacher while he's preaching. So it's really important that we understand, yes, I can pray for you, But I honestly don't know what you really need. Why? Because I am as infirmed as you are. Jesus Christ has no infirmity. Go back to Hebrews 7 and look at what it says. Verse 28. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forever more. See, he is eternally glorified and he is no longer subject to the temptations of heat, cold, thirst, weariness, weakness, pain, or death. All earthly priests are. How many of you have ever given somebody wrong advice when you were in a bad mood? That never happens to Jesus. That never happens to Jesus. Praise the Lord. And then, of course, verse 25. Here's something that none of the the earthly priests can do. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. See, I can't save anybody. Jesus Christ, he is that Savior. Praise the Lord. Now, the wording here is really important in verse 25. I want you to realize what the verse does not say. It never says that a man can be saved to the uttermost who comes to God by a bishop, by a priest. Nor does it say that any sinner can be saved coming to a church, but through a sacrament. Sinners are not saved by coming to educators, pastors, scientists, musicians, welfare workers, doctors, or theological propositions. People are saved by coming to Jesus Christ by God. And the Bible says no man can come to Jesus except the Father draw him. And then Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. God does it all. Praise the Lord. He does it all. Now, 
I mentioned this morning that I was going to talk about living the resurrected life. How many of you believe what was just preached from the pulpit? Right? That's the benefit of preaching the Bible. When you have a Bible-loving church, the people agree with the Bible. Right? But here's the thing. How many of you really believe that Jesus Christ's sacrifice was once for all and that you are saved to the uttermost? Right? Then what is stopping us from trusting him? What is stopping us from giving our all, everything to him? Now, here's, I remember I hadn't been here pastor very long. I hadn't been pastor here for very long. And someone said... Um, he expects us to work full-time and work at the church full-time. I think I was probably asking people to go soul winning or something. And like on August 31st at 6 o'clock, well, we're going to go and just put the bags on the front porch. Right? How many of you know that's not a full-time job? Okay. But anyway, I had somebody say to me, or I heard someone say that um, he wants us to work full-time and and work at the church full-time. And I happened to be standing right behind the lady that said it. And I said, no, I just think we ought to be full-time Christians. Amen? What does that mean? That means we are constantly trusting Jesus Christ and believing everything the Bible says about him and living that faith out no matter what we are doing. If we're hanging out with our family, if we're with our friends, if we're in a rough situation at work, whatever it is that we're living that out as a Christian and looking for opportunities to serve him. That's what it means to live the resurrected life. We're no longer bound by the flesh in the way that lost people are. I'm sorry, we are still bound by the flesh. How many of you still have your body? Right? If you're not sure, pinch yourself. Okay, we, we still have the limitations of, of, of tiredness and our health and diet and all of these things. Amen? And yet, how many of you know we're supposed to be different than the world? Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit life. And not only do we have the Holy Spirit life, we have the resurrected life. That is, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. That Romans chapter 6 where it says that, that's not talking about water baptism. Water baptism is a picture of that. What happens is when you get saved, then you are baptized into Christ's death by the Holy Spirit of God. And you're raised to walk in newness of life. That is, you have a new life. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So what it means to, to walk in the resurrected life is to realize I don't have to sin. That's what it means. When it gets to that place and you've got to make a choice, your mind can go one way or another. You do not have to go the wrong way. Amen? That's the resurrected life. When it comes time and you, you're, you're ready to cuss somebody, you just don't have to do that. Why is Laura laughing so hard at that? Listen, how many of you know somebody that just needs a good cussing? Be honest. You don't have to be the one to do it, right? You don't have to do that. 
think of any illustration you want to. When you want to sin, and you will, right? How many of you still have your body? All right, you're going to want to sin. Here's the resurrected life. You don't have to. Isn't that that the best? I think that's the simplest explanation of the the resurrected life that you can have. You don't have to sin. Now, how many of you know you're going to sin? But you don't have to. If any man says he has no sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. Remember 1 John, I write unto you, little children, that you sin not. But when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for that. I write unto you that you sin not. So here's my message to you. Don't sin. That's the resurrected life. You don't have to sin. When you do, you have an advocate with the Father who ever liveth to make intercession for the saints. Praise God for that. What is the resurrected life? Just remembering that. Number one, I don't have to sin. When I do, I have an advocate with the Father. I don't have to sin. That's the resurrected life. But when I do, I have an advocate with the Father. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Amen? Man, you don't need a priest. You do not need a priest. Praise God for that. We have Jesus Christ, our high priest. Amen? How many of you are, be honest, you're Browns fans. Would you raise your hand? I'm not your priest. You don't have to confess your sin to me. You got a quarterback that's really just a lovely man. Let's all stand together. Resurrected life. Resurrected life. You don't have to sin. You don't have to. But when you do, you have an advocate with the Father. So how does this help us in our Christian life? I don't have to sin. When I get to that choice, I don't have to make the bad choice. But the times when you look back and you say, I should have thought more, I should have prayed more, and you've sinned, you're no less saved than you were for the day that you got saved. Because you're saved to the uttermost. Are those two good thoughts to take with you this week? If you are not saved, if you're here tonight and you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, you are not saved to the uttermost. Listen, you're lost to the uttermost. You are already condemned. Please believe Jesus. Trust Jesus to be your Savior.